on this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown with Tiger and Layman, presented by Riverwind Casino. We recap Oklahoma's loss to Baylor, and we recap the other great games of Week 10 of college football, and we finish up giving you our winners and losers of the weekend. Please download and subscribe to the podcast, rate it five stars, and write us a good review. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those, and you'll find us. All right. Our man, Michael Hosty will kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. It's a beautiful Monday, November 7th, and you're listening to the Oklahoma Breakdown with Hiker and Layman, presented by Riverwind Casino. Riverwind is Oklahoma City's premier casino experience, and there are so many reasons why Riverwind is consistently voted OKC's number one casino, but it all starts with their amazing variety of gaming thrills and excitement. Riverwind's beautiful award-winning environment plays host to more than 2,800 of the latest electronic games with a huge selection of table games, including Blackjack, Blackjack Match Roulette, and Teddy's favorite, Craps. No matter what your game, Riverwind has it in spades and hearts. And to learn more about their gaming promotions and entertainment options in the month of November, all you got to do is visit Riverwind.com. Riverwind Casino, simply the best. Now we're recording this on Sunday afternoon. Please leave us a five-star review and a nice comment. Remember, we do not coach or play for the team. So nice comments, nice reviews. We're doing our best to bring you quality content, people. Ted, how we doing, man? I'm doing okay, I guess. Doing all right. That was um that was something Saturday. That was something. That was that was something. So, I mean, you look at it and you lose 38-35 at home to Baylor. And honestly, they're lucky it was that close. Because, you know, Baylor kind of could have, you, you turn the ball, ball over like that and we'll get into all this, but, you know, Baylor's a solid football team. They're a good team. They're not great, but they are. They're very well coached. They're very physical. They do a lot of things at a high level. But yeah, um, man, that was a was a disappointing outcome. It was a very winnable game, very winnable game. And man, coming off the performance in Ames, where we were hoping to see some improvements on both sides of the ball right carry some of that momentum it's not what we saw no it was bad it was not and and there's there's tons of blame to go around was not complimentary football um offensively turned it over too many times ball security's got to be first and foremost we lost the turnover battle um put our defense in some really bad spots field position wise 
you know, had, had some opportunities that, you know, we just couldn't capitalize on out there every time the defense had some type of positive result. We could not capitalize on it offensively. Did not win special teams, in my opinion. We um, we got penalized on a play, which, you know, say what you want, still a penalty, still goes down in the books. Uh, we gave up a big opening kickoff. We had an opportunity. The coach decides not to go for it on fourth down. I don't have a problem with the call. We elect to punt it. We punt it in the damn end zone. Easiest thing in the world not to do. So now it's just a total worthless decision. We're out to the 20-yard line. We didn't help ourselves hardly at all. You know, defensively, we made mistake after mistake after mistake, lining up, adjusting, not physical, getting our ass blocked off on the offensive line, getting our ass blocked off by wide receivers, clueless as to what's going on, not finishing plays physically. It's just across the board, man. Wasn't good. And all that being said, several opportunities to still win that football game. Just a shock. Yeah. That's what, like, it. there was – now, don't give me – it wasn't all bad as we went back and watched the tape. There's there's some good, right, especially offensively. There was a lot of good. But to do all that and to still play a close football game – I mean, honestly, it's almost impressive. I mean, it's I almost impressive. It is. But uh, okay, let's start with let's start with the defense. I know this is a loaded question. <laughs> What'd you think, Ted? I thought it was bad. I thought it was really bad. Um, like just overall as a group, I we're blocked. We're too. We play too high. We don't we don't finish plays aggressively. I mean, and that's just like the te- that's just like the playing aspect of it, right? The the bigger problem, in my opinion, is we don't know how to line up and we don't know how to adjust very well. And we're constantly in scramble mode. We're constantly not lined up in the right place, which gets us out of position. It's already hard enough to beat guys you know, that are trying to block you. They're big, strong. They practice too. They practice their technique. It's hard enough whenever you are in the proper position to win. It's impossible whenever you're in poor position and your angles are bad. And it's just a constant throughout, uh, you know, from the first series to the last series, it's guys just flat out do not know how to line up and do not know how to adjust to to motions and shifts. I mean, and there's there's really no there's no way around it. We are we are in calls that are gap sound and and there are sound calls and we're not lined up right and we have guys that are not in the proper gaps and there's massive gaping holes in our defense in the run game because of it. Um like the and some of that stuff is going to happen year one in a new scheme. You know, you don't see the same stuff every single week. People are going to game plan against what it is that you do. I mean, they are going to make it hard on you. All right. So some of that, I mean, really you can't live with any of it, but I will at least say that, okay, 
it's hard, right? And I'll yield that. But I we get blocked nonstop. Nonstop. We we don't win any one-on-ones on the defensive line in pass rush. Not one time do we win a one-on-one across the board in pass rush. Um we're we're too high. We get blown off the football. Linebackers are too high. We come in and fill our gap. We're standing straight up and down like a two stand like a two by four like this, and we get blown out of the the gap four yards downfield, and a no gain turns into an eight yard gain. You know, it's just and it's it's over and over and over and over. It's frustrating to watch, man. It is. It's tough. We got a, we got a long ways to go, and we knew that. I. This isn't the first time that, that this has shown up, but you know we've known that, that we have a long way to go, but I'm frustrated that here we are. Well, we've got three games left in, in a 12-game season, and I, I feel like that was almost a back-to-square-one type of game for our defense. That's, that's kind of where I looked at it. Now, there were some guys, I, I will flatly say that I don't think anyone played good. But there were some guys that had some individual moments where they did some good things. But that doesn't mean you played well on the day. You can't miss an alignment and an adjustment 60 freaking times and then make one good play, get up and flex on everyone, and you played a good game. That's not how it works. You played a shitty game. So that's where I'm at with that. Um, I don't know, man. It was – It's it's just frustrating, and I'm I'm frustrated for those guys because I know that they're they're trying their best, but there's somehow there is a there is a disconnect between like what we are trying to do with our calls on defense and our players being able to accomplish that. Like, and I don't know because I'm not there. I don't. I I can't. I can't say that the players don't care and I can't say that the message from the coach isn't good. Like, I just, I don't know what it is, but it's, we're not getting the results on defense that we need. And it's, it's frustrating. It is. It's almost borderline unbelievable to watch Baylor shift and Watch OU's defense not react at all. Not bump. No communication. Just nothing. Nothing. It, down by the goal line, man. Like, I, mm-hmm. I've i never seen it. Like, it doesn't happen in defensive football. It can't happen. You're taking a gap from this side and moving it to this side. And if no one has moved with it, guess what? you're wrong and someone is there's going to be a gaping hole somewhere so i i don't know i you know i i in some of it like it's it's hard to know because i don't know like the i know what the end result's going to look but i don't know how they're actually supposed to like sometimes just one guy runs with the motion and he's got it everywhere other times the safety's rock and roll sometimes the backers adjust like there's a there's different ways that you can move the gaps but there's times that we're not moving anything and the result is on the goal line two back 
run, goal line run. Like, here we go. We know where it's coming, and we've got just a massive hole with no one there. And it's, you know, it, I, again, I don't know. I don't know where to point the blame. And there's probably, um, you know, you can probably take it several different places. All I can say is that it's not, it's not close to, it's not close to winning football. I don't care what the score was. I don't care if we lost the game three to zero. That was not winning, winning defense, winning football. There's just, there's way too many mistakes, way too many mistakes. And those are going to happen. You're not going to play perfect games. I get that. I totally understand it. But, like, instead of a mistake being, I'm too high and I had a poor step and I got peeled out of my gap. Like, that's a mistake. You can't necessarily live with it, but I'm saying it's like, it's not a catastrophic error. On almost every play, Regardless of what the result is, there is a catastrophic error somewhere on the defense. Someone's there's a wide receiver that's totally uncovered. There's a gap that you know someone we got two guys standing in the same gap on the outside, and there's like an eight yard massive void in the middle of our defense. Like almost every play, there's a catastrophic type of error somewhere, and. A better team than Baylor would have beat us 50 to zero. Well, I don't know about the offense. They would have hung as many points on us as they want. You know, like offensively, I'm, there's there's plenty of good there. But just speaking about defense, like a better offense would have just like totally, absolutely run through us all day long. And they kind of did. I mean, this, statistically speaking, it doesn't show up necessarily that way, but. That was an ass kicking. I, I've got a few questions for you. Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen a team getting bare and stop the run as poorly as Oklahoma did, jumping in bare defense? Because, and for those of you that don't know, basically five down linemen, right? Five defensive linemen on the field, and I get why they did it, and I was, I agreed with it. But some of the stuff they did out of Bear, I've watched a lot of football, man. A lot. Now I'm not. I, I don't. I don't have the extensive knowledge of defense that you have. I, I'd never pretend like I do. I've never seen a team try to stop the run by looping a nose guard and Bear. I've never yeah. seen that. And whoever I. And that I mean they did it, and they kind of stopped doing it. But those are some of the biggest holes from a zone concept against bear defense I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. It's, it should be impossible. Right. The, the bear. I, and I don't, the only thing I was talking about on the broadcast that this has to be some type of like a bust. Like I've only seen a loop like that on, like we've got a hard slant on and, Oh my God, it's pass. So the nose has to loop around to the outside, so we don't just we don't we have some type of contain player. Like that's the only time I've seen that. I've never I, seen it in. I think I know what they were trying to do. I think they were trying to take that three, 
and force the ball to cut back right away. Force the ball to cut back right away. The problem is this just in Baylor actually cut blocks on the backside. Like good offensive lines do. And they were just chopping them down. Jalen Redmond, boom, ass over tea kettle. And there was the biggest hole. I mean, I sent you the screenshot of it. Mm-hmm. It's one of the biggest. Like, I didn't know it was possible to have a running lane that big against their defense. Well, uh, it's I mean, not because that's not like, like they may have lined up in it, but they didn't play it. Like, that is. Yeah. I, I, don't, I know. don't know, man. I've, I've never seen that. Me. And whoever's idea that was, I would love to hear the explanation. Like, hey, this is how we saw it going in our head. Yeah. I I don't know, man. Yeah. I and the one time it did what it was designed, I'm guessing, to do, the cutback play was I mean, it was massive. It was oh my gosh. The only thing I've ever seen is like it's fairly normal is the nose allows himself to get cut off and bare and that's it. And you adjust to that with the backers. That's how the backers know it's going to be played. Like he's always going to win backside. And you know, that way you, you can allow yourself to have two fast flow backers on both sides of the ball, no matter where it's going. And, but I, I don't know. Like that it it was, but uh, the other thing is like, aside from all of that, aside from, the the like our alignments and you know how we adjust the call it's just like the like it is way too soft we are way too high we don't finish plays aggressively at all like there is no punishment at all to playing against our defense right now right Every single time a running back has the football, he should be making a business decision in his mind of when he needs to go down with the football before he takes a helmet to the gut or someone comes like piling in on top of him. We we just we're not we're not we're not close to being a dominant defense right now. Just it's not happening. And it's frustrating. It's frustrating because I, I had I had seen some things that looked like we're moving in a in a, a positive direction. Not that we were turning into an elite defense, but that we were starting to to get some things. And I, I, this was just to me a massive step back. You got anything else about the defense? Um, I mean there was there was some good stuff. Um, I thought Aguebu at times made some good plays, showing that he can run sideline to sideline. Um, I thought I thought Stutzman did some good stuff in the open field, making some plays. Uh, I thought Billy Bowman, for the most part, was was aggressive, was downhill, was in good position, did a good job in the passing game on some things. I thought. I thought Key Lawrence showed a couple of of plays where he was really physical and really aggressive. Um, I didn't think anyone on the defensive line for 
any meaningful stretch whatsoever. Interior, edge, anyone played good at all. Sometimes we would slip a block and penetrate and make a play. That's fine. But like down in, down out, we were blocked nonstop, nonstop. And not just blocked, like bulldozed off the line of scrimmage. Um, like I said, pass rush didn't win any one-on-ones at all. Blocked, perfect pocket to throw from nearly every single time across the board. Um, just, I've got a lot of notes here. None of them really any good. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I I will say, in you know, Key Lawrence got banged up, did not come back on into the football game. We'll see what that looks like moving forward. Jalen Redmond, and you know, some people may notice, ended up playing with a knee brace late in that game. We'll see what it looks like for him moving forward. But, I mean, Reggie Grimes just, like, disappeared for stretches in the football game. I I don't know, man. It's just. Well, he didn't disappear for some people because there was someone in Baylor's team nearly all the time had their helmet square in his chest as he's too high all the time looking. We're laid off the edge. We're slow off the edge whenever it comes to the run game. Uh, he's too big and too strong to be playing high like that. Uh, you, it's like a – I mean, I don't, I don't even have a good analogy for it. It's like just such power going to waste, you know? You can't do anything standing up in, at this level of football. You just can't. There's no one that is that good. You just cannot do it. You have to play with your pads down. It's the same thing for Ethan Downs. Number one, we need to know where we're going, okay? And then we need to do it with some good technique, with some knee bend, with some physicality. We can't just, you know, lay hands on people. We've got to have some punch to us. It's just soft as hell all the way across the the whole interior by the defensive line. And it's even softer whenever the backers come downhill to play gaps. It is just a pillow fight, absolute pillow fight right now. And it's all from playing straight up and down, and you play straight up and down typically when you don't know what the hell you're doing because you're like, oh, go, where do I go? And you end up eating a helmet directly in the sternum. So that's kind of uh, what I witnessed for 78 plays over and over. I will say this. um as far as, and I've talked about this quite a bit, how much, uh, how big of a fan I am of of Jeff Grimes and of his offensive system. I thought, I thought Baylor took advantage of something that Brent Venables has done for a long time. And for those of you that don't know this, BV wants to see the formation before he calls the defense. And that's why a lot of time you'll see the guys communicating. It, it looks like they're running around and, and kind of almost scrambling. But that's that's how he's done it for a long, long time. Ted, you know this as well as anyone. And you have to be efficient with the communication. Everyone's got to be on the same page. Maybe that's one of the issues. But Jeff Grimes knew that. Baylor huddled way more than they've huddled all season. 
They did the sugar huddle where they'd get up to the ball. They'd quick snap it. They did all kinds of things to take advantage of the way that Brent Venables operates when it comes to calling the defense. And there were a lot of times, man, that OU's defense was not lined up. Yeah. And Baylor's snapping the football. And OU's getting gashed. So I thought that that was – I thought that was really smart from Jeff Grimes. And I would not be surprised to see some teams do it over these next couple of weeks. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I – I think you've got to have – we got. I'm just thinking. You got to have a. It's a. It's a good way to do things um, defensively if you've got the right capabilities out there. Right. Like if you don't have the right capabilities, player-wise, mentally to be able to to process it, then it's hard to do. But Baylor lined up in like five different formations the entire game, you know, and it was the same thing over and over and over. They may give you a little bit different motion or presentation, but, you know, the only unique thing I saw was that little tackle trap play that they where they pulled the tackle towards the inside. But that was a one-off play. They didn't run it again. And I, you have, as, as, a, as a defensive player, I, every single play that you see needs to go into the memory bank, right? And it's not that hard within the framework of a of a game to to be able to store what you've seen as the game's going on. If you know what you're doing, to be able to go back to those different things to you know to be able to to pick up what they did last time, how you played it correctly or poorly, you know, what you need to do differently, what you need to do the same, what you need to tell someone else that you saw last time. Uh, we just we're not on that level right now. You you mean that the thirty fifth time that Baylor got into a tight bunch and ran the truck play where so down and around pin pull whatever you want to call it where you are getting cracked where that tight end is very he is almost in the core and he's looking he's right like at turned the sideways end. like this looking at the guy that he's about to block down on. And the defensive end never, not one time, not one time, put his hands on said tight end. Mm -mm. Went up the field, got his ass blocked. You're you're telling me that at some point in the football game, one of the defensive ends should say, you know what? That guy, that big dude standing right there, he might be cracking me, and they might be running the pin pull stuff, the toss crack outside. You're telling me that that they should remember that? And they should say, they you should. know what? Maybe that's coming. And not only that, the defensive back that's lined up on the outside of that that sees it should give him a heads up. Hey, it's coming. Crack's coming. And guess what happens when crack comes? I've got to come up and fit it. All right, the tackle's coming around. Unfortunately, for a 180-pound corner, that's that. That's where you've got to set the edge. And we set it backpedaling. I don't. It didn't get set. It got set about eight yards onto the sideline on one play. So, you know, it's we're not there. It's it's, and I've known that we're not there. Right. So maybe I'm too too upset about it because I've known that we're not there. 
I, I, but I thought we were further along than than what I saw against Baylor. You know, that's that's the one thing I guess that frustrates me the most is that like, at a minimum we we have to be able to line up and, and adjust properly. That's it. All right, the technique and stuff will will come whenever we learn how to get lined up. That's got to be first and foremost to the, to finishing the season is you know, coaches and players finding out a way to get us lined up and ready to play a snap where we know where we're going. And maybe it's not the perfect call, you know, but it's something that we can adjust and that we can line up in and that we can, you know, execute at a much higher level. The ninth game of the year. The fact that they can't get lined up, I mean, it blows my mind. You get your ass kicked, that's one thing, right? It's one thing. But you got to give lined up to give yourself a chance. And the fact that that is still – and this is not some small issue. Like, this is play after play after play on that film. We're going, they're not lined up. They've they've shifted and motion, and no one has reacted. Like, I don't know how that happens this late in the season. I – I really don't, but some man. of the most critical plays at the end of the game, like absolutely have to have a stop on this play lined up wrong. We got two guys standing like in the same spot and they're like looking at each other. Like, are you, are you supposed to be here? Or am I ball snap? We run into each other. And as you can imagine, they convert. Well, that was fun. Yep. All right, let's talk about let's talk about OU's offense against Baylor. I feel like I've said this too many times to where kind of like I, I don't want to say I've been lying to myself or anything like that, but I felt that you know, this offense was right on the brink of being really good. I just don't know if it's going to come in. I I've said, "Hey, here it comes. Here comes the offensive explosion. It just hadn't happened. And I, I thought that they would take that step eventually, but maybe we just got to accept this is what this group is. It's good. It's good. And the offense is good, but it's not great. It's not elite. It's not like some of these offenses we've seen around here in the last, you know, five, six years. And really, I thought that this game offensively was kind of defied defined by some key errors. Dylan Gabriel, you can't throw three interceptions and put your defense in awful spots. You can't do that against a solid football team. I mean, the turnover and down, turnover on downs on fourth and one, which by the way is a turnover. So when I say they turn the ball over four times in this game, you're not converting on fourth and one, that's a turnover. That's why they call it turnover on downs. Mm -hmm. And the Wildcat play... Listen, I I wouldn't have had Marcus Major in that situation, but let me tell you, man, there is a massive hole right where the play is designed to go. Massive. If by fourth and one standards, it's an insanely large hole. Insanely large. The fact that they didn't get a yard there is borderline unbelievable. And clearly, huge play in the football game. I mean, other errors, illegal hands to the face. 
where what DG ends up running that ball out at like the seven yard line. Mm -hmm. And instead you get weighed back. You get backed way up. You eventually miss a, a long field goal. So you, instead of maybe scoring a touchdown there, you get no points. I, you punted it away on fourth and what? Three and a half on the plus 46 and your punter and everyone's excited. Oh, Mim saved it. No, this is college. The ball breaks the plane. It's a touchback. Don't punt it through the damn end zone. I, I mean, there's just, there's so many things that were good offensively. There's some really good stuff offensively, but if you're going to beat good teams, like, those errors, especially if your defense is struggling the way that Oklahoma's defense is struggling, like you can't turn it over four times. You go into the game knowing our defense is shitty. We have to be great. And they weren't great. They were good. They're fine. Turned it over too much. So, I mean, just going through position by position, kind of like we always do, I mean, Dylan Gabriel is some really good and some really bad. I thought he did some great stuff with his legs. You know, had the touchdown run, multiple other big runs that were huge plays in the game. And then as far as throwing the ball, some beautiful throws, right? The deep ball to Mims was one of the best throws we've seen from him all season. But it, it's hard to look at the way that he played and go, you know what? Great job when you throw three interceptions. And the first one, listen, this is where, this is why people listen to this podcast. You look at it, tip ball, it happens. It shouldn't have happened. They're in empty protection. They bring pressure weak. You cannot be surprised that that guy is going to be, and the offensive line actually did a good job of taking the hit off him. A nice adjustment, right? That's not that they're doing extra to prevent him from getting hit there. But he feels it, gets surprised, and just throws it to really no one. And the guy just happens to tip it, and it gets intercepted. They run triple slant on the outside. Eric Gray is wide open. Bang the damn slant and empty protection. Get the ball out. I, it shouldn't have happened. So you say, ah, tip ball, it happens. No, no, no. It shouldn't have happened. Empty pro, timing, throw it. It's there. Throw it. Staring right at it. Throw it. So, I mean, so you have basically a panic interception. Then the second one, it is what it is. You're trying to fit a ball into a tight window. Ball gets batted. That, I was fine with that. Being aggressive with the football to Willis, whatever. Sometimes those things happen. I was fine with that decision. But the third one, right, you're super late to Farouk and you sail it and Another interception. You cannot turn the ball over when your defense is struggling the way that they, if you got a lockdown defense, man, okay, you can take some risks, you can make some mistakes, but that is not the current situation. So, like, even though I I really didn't think he played that bad, like those are critical errors that lose football games. And especially the spots that they put the defense in in that first half just you talk about a group that's already not a confident group. 
and then you hand Baylor the ball. What on right like there the to plus go score. 26 and like the plus 34 or something like that. Yeah, I mean, it's just that's that it is the opposite, whatever the opposite of complimentary is. <laughs> that's what that is. So I, I feel, I feel like I'm being tough on Dylan Gabriel, but I, I don't know, man. I just, you can't turn it over like that. You just can't. No. Nope. Well, and, and that's the thing is like, there's just way too many mistakes being made. Like, just like even forget about like the football in the middle of the, in the middle of the action, like defensively trying to get lined up to some stuff and, you know, offensively, like some, you know, whatever, some, some things that happen throughout the, you know, as a play unfolds, it's just like the, the critical penalties, the critical turnovers, the lack of execution on special teams, like those things are easy, right? Those are the easy things. We're about to go into half. We're in, we're in scoring position. I can't commit a 15 yard penalty, right? We, you know, we're defensively, we're back. We're in the red zone. They're going in. We've got to get a stop. We've got to force a field goal here. Second and eight, Guaybu makes a tackle for loss. Five-yard loss. It's going to be third and 13 from, like, the, I don't know, the 15-yard the line, something like that. you got a really good chance to force a field goal. And we have rip a guy's helmet off. Are you shitting me? Who does that? You have to be the most selfish person on the planet to do something like that. So you get your ass blocked off. You're totally pushed past the football by 10 yards, and you're going to rip the guy's helmet off whenever your buddy makes a a great tackle for loss. You got a chance to force a field goal. That shit is insane to me how players do that. I don't know. It's You can play football without getting penalties. Like It happens. Sometimes, but whenever you're worried about the rest of your team and you're worried about winning games and playing as a unit, it just doesn't happen. It's miraculous. But when you don't give a shit about anyone else, they do happen. Running backs. I thought Eric Gray was good, man. I mean, he's been he's been a bright spot all season. He he really has. Uh, thought he ran tough, couple touchdowns. Uh, he continues to do some really good stuff in space. I thought in between the tackles, I mean, he battled, still making guys miss, uh, protected the football. I mean, he got a lot of touches. What I think 31 total touches, 164 total yards. Just, yeah, thought he thought he handled himself well, played well. Uh, I liked what I saw from EG. Uh, Marcus Major, I I don't know how long it takes him to get healthy. I the guy's been hurt for uh, months now, and you know, pretty minimal impact in the game. Uh, clearly, the big play, fourth and one. Uh, I would have had Eric Gray in that situation. I mean, I just, I, I, I'm, I'm riding zero with the way that he's playing. I, I know Major's a big, powerful back. I get it, but he's not healthy. He does not. He's not bringing what he brought earlier in the year. Like there's. There's very little pop, and 
you know, to give him the football in that situation. Like I, you know, I say that, that he's got to go get the first down. There is a, by fourth and one standards, there's one of the biggest fourth and one holes you could ever ask for on that concept. You, and people want to say, Hey, Conjo missed the block. Listen, that block should be irrelevant. Go get the first down. It's there. Just go hit the hole. Stop dancing and go hit the hole. But uh, I mean, Daniel Parker and Wanya Morris take this dude for a ride. It just caved the edge of the defense. I mean, you, you have to get a yard there. It's unbelievable. You don't get a yard there with that amount of movement, but I will say major did some good things some blitz pickup. He, he, that is one spot. He really excels in that. I mean, he does, he does a nice job. Wide receivers. It's good seeing Marvin Mims get back on track, right? Uh, wish, you know, wish they would have taken a few more shots to him. Um, I thought it was going to be a big day offensively when they connected early. And yeah. I was like, here we go. Today's the day. Thought it was a, th- a sign of great things to come throughout the afternoon. And uh, ultimately, a few critical errors uh, hold the offense back from having a really nice day. Uh, Farouk continued to get him the ball in creative ways. I, I like him on the edges as a runner. He's shown, you know, real ability in those situations. He does great. Find it a lot of times finding something out of nothing with how good of a route runner he is. I don't know how they don't get him the ball more. I just, it, it it's kind of confusing, but uh, he, uh, I think he's a guy that I'm really excited about when it comes to the future. Uh, I really am. And then Drake Stoops touchdown was sweet, man. Yep. <laughs> I mean, throw on the break. That was sweet. Uh, had a couple other nice plays, but uh, DG missed him a few times. Right when his accuracy randomly disappeared in the second quarter, that was, I mean, that was bizarre. Um, but yeah, in it, you got any thoughts on kind of the skill guys? No, I, I thought they, I thought they handled themselves well. Um, whenever, whenever we found connections with them, I thought everyone, for the most part, did a really good job. Uh, I'm with you on Mims. I thought, here we go, we've got him going on that deep stuff, and, um couldn't find him again which you know was frustrating but um yeah i i thought eric gray again was just exceptional um some of the things that he does like he does a really good job just within the the framework of the play but like once it's time like okay we've 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 done our job now it's on you to to do what you can after the fact I think he does just like an ex- excellent job, individual effort, making guys miss, spinning off, finding ways to cut back against the grain. Just got really good vision. Yeah. Uh, tight end wise, Braden Willis did some good things. Uh, had a little angle route in this game early. Uh, I think showed showed a little route running ability. That was a big play, big gain. Uh, continues to block at a high level. Um, asking him to sort through a lot of the trash. Some of those insert concepts, um, the counter where he's the second puller, just, you know, asking him to do a lot, but he continues to play at a high level. Offensive line wise, it wasn't bad. Wasn't bad. I thought, you know, you think about that Baylor defensive front, and it's not as good as a couple of the fronts they've had in the past. And I know that's weird because it's a lot of the same guys as last year, but 
you think about the team they played in the Big 12 championship, stuff like that. I think that was – I think those guys were a little better up front. But Anton Harrison, man, this is – some of the, some of the glimpses from him in this game is – is why I wish Oklahoma ran more zone. Now, now he was rock solid in pass protection again, but like the thing that stood out to me and, and remember, OU is not a, they're really not a true zone team at all. And I feel like it's robbing us of seeing Anton Harrison, maybe at his best because they did run kind of this split zone outside zone concept a little bit. And to watch him run off the football and just put hands on guys coming at them with some momentum. It, it just, it, it, it showed me and I, I guarantee you there's some NFL teams that are looking at going, okay, that guy can be a, he can be a good zone blocking left tackle, right? That's what, and I, I, I thought that he, when he came off the ball, like he moved some people as well as we've seen all year in this game and did it with some violence. It was, I really liked it. I really like some of the stuff I saw from Anton. Thought he yeah. did a good job. He's, I mean, if, if if you want a short list of players that have grown into different different type of guys by this point in the season, he's got to be one of them. He's just been a steady uh, ascension for him. Up, up, up. Looks better almost weekly. Yeah, and I do not, I do not know anything for sure. Probably should enjoy these last couple games of him. Yeah. I had to guess. So that is that I mean, that's just I, I think he's probably played himself into being a day two guy. And you know, if he can I, I don't know. We'll see. Uh we'll see what he ends up deciding. That's that is a decision that is looming, though. Uh, as far as the left guard position. I feel like I can just type the same thing every week. Bunch of stalemates. Not a lot to write home about. Some solid play from Conjol and Matoyer. Actually, Matoyer did have some, he did have some nice zone combos with Rain. Where it was like the first time where I felt he was actually moving someone off the football, where I was like, oh, nice. But other than that, not really uh, much to talk about there at left guard. Andrew Rain. I know everyone is mad at him for the penalty. I get it. And it's an awful penalty. And it took points off the board. I get it. But I thought he actually played pretty well in the middle. Now, listen, he got he got stuffed in the run game a couple times. But going up against Ika and actually Gabe Hall, 95, that dude's got some length, man. I mean, he I mean, he gave he gave Chris Murray a lot of trouble with how long his arms are, but the one thing about Rain, he just plays way too high in the run game. And this is a – I think this is a product of them not running a ton of, like, true zone and knowing where you're working and, like, having a feel for it. Like, he can come off and give so much more with so – with lower pad level than he does. I, I, but it's like they don't do a ton of it. You know what I mean? So it's not – you know, I, I can't really fault him that much, like, but he needs, he's got to bend. He's not strong. So believe me, this was my existence at that position. If you are not strong, you better play low in the run game and bend. 
and play with some weight forward. Like all this other, hey, be measured and all this. That's for super strong dudes. That's not you, Andrew Ray. You got it. You got to come off the football, man, and play low. But I, I still think he's getting better. I do, which is which is good. Uh, Chris Murray didn't think he was as good in the run game, and it was a product of uh, Gabe Hall, ninety-five for Baylor, just having so much length on him uh, to where you know you could see sometimes Chris Murray's just got one arm on him. He's trying to grab him with the other, can't reach him. You know, that's just product of his physical limitations. Um, yeah, so he he struggled at times because of that. But still, I I will always give Chris credit. That dude plays with physicality, plays with effort. Uh, he cares. So, I mean, it is what it is. And then Juan and Morris is starting to piss me off, man. Because, and we've talked about this, like, the lack of consistency irritates me. Like I, I'm tired of seeing the good flashes of play because like you know it's there and it you just don't get it consistently and it's infuriating for me. And you know, you got pulled quite a bit in the run game, uh, got pulled in pass protection. You know, his guy had a couple of what I call retrace sacks where he kind of just stops playing. Which you can't just stop playing, man. But I mean, he probably grades out decently if you go back through it, but there's just more there. And I, I hate saying that about a player. It's like, I know there's more there. You've shown it in stretches. Like, just why can't you give it to me all the time, Wanye? That's my thing. It's like, why? I know it's possible. So they did some good things to the run game. That's good. That's a good front from Baylor. Now, that is not an elite defensive front, especially on the edges for them. I think it is – I don't even – I mean, they're okay. They're okay. But offensive line, maybe – I don't know if I'd say a bright spot, but maybe that's the best way to put it. Like, I thought that they they played decently. Yeah. I You know, from what I noticed, you know – it just it feels like the the protection it i know it's not perfect but it just it seems like the consistency there's it's way more consistent than what we saw early in the season and i think that's helped Dylan Gabriel some we talked about that um you know for the Iowa State game um i i guess my curi- my curiosity is is with some of the stuff like like with Rame like right? he it, they're being coached to fire off a little bit more, right? Don't you think? Is, is... I, I really hope so. Now, you know, these last couple of years, and you, I've said it a lot on here, right? It's too measured for me. Mm-hmm. Like, just compare. If you if you watch the game, which I assume everyone that listens to this podcast does, think about how Baylor's offensive line comes off the rock. Think about the velocity that they play with off the football. Now, yep. once again, I, to my core, believe that Baylor's running game is the most effective way of doing things in this sport, right? I I do not hide that. Outside zone is, I I almost feel like it's one of my children. That, like, that's, I, I, 
That's the best way to put it. Maybe like I believe in that concept and they run off the football and sometimes they swing and miss, man. It happens. Sometimes a guy beats you in the so- inside. Sometimes a guy sw- swims your ass, but the defense knows all damn game. I'm flying off the rock and hitting you in your fucking mouth. And I, I, you may, you may make me miss a couple times, but I'm coming all day. Yep. And it's not take small steps, try to torque guys. It's let's fly off the rock and move people. And that's why you see some of the holes you saw. While a lot of this stuff for Oklahoma, the counter stuff, you know, it, it felt very, very crowded. Um, now, there was good. Don't get me wrong, but I was just gonna, uh, you just compare the two. When you see that, I mean, when you watch one and then you watch the other, it's like. I, I feel like as a D lineman or even a backer, like if you have like a poor get off or you miss with your hands against Baylor, you're about to get your ass drove like six yards off the football. But like, if it's more measured, you have a better chance to recover. I feel like, and you kind of get back in the fight a little more. Yeah, because you're not. I, it hasn't just like totally shocked you off of your your spot. And, and that's why, like, you can go back and look at some of what I'm calling outside split zone that OU ran in the game. Those are probably Anton Harrison's best snaps in the run game of the entire season because he's coming off the ball. He's playing with velocity. He's not taking I and I hate it. But they run inside zone. And Anton Harrison on the front side of inside zone takes inside footwork every time all year long. It drives me nuts. Nuts. Because I think it condenses everything. It reduces space, which is like the exact opposite of what I believe in in yeah. the run game. In this game, some of that he actually got to come off the ball and almost run stretch. Right, and those were some Lyman of the best runs of the he entire football know, game. D Lyman doesn't know what the back is doing. He reacts to the footwork of the of the tackle. If he's like yes. wide, the deep tackle's got to react to that and play his gap as it widens. Yeah, it, it, makes sense. And that's why I, I don't know. Like this offense, they they've been on the brink of being really good, but it just for whatever reason hasn't happened. Then yep. and. I don't know. It's just it's frustrating. Although I, I do feel like they've gotten, you know, they've gotten better. Like the offense line, I feel like they've gotten better. Yeah. But then you realize, oh, they're getting better. What one of them is going to be back next year? Probably Rain. Yeah. And that's where you're just like, damn it! Like, <laughs> <laughs> so it's, I don't know. Well, here's the here's the good news, at least for me. I don't know how you feel. I still feel like we're going to win our final three games of the season. I really hope so. <laughs> this this podcast is going to get dark if they don't. <laughs> I know it. All right, let's get to call your shot. And we ask you guys your number one takeaway from OU's loss to Baylor. Uh, this first one comes from Tom Diamond, who says... 
We have to hit the portal for linemen if next season is going to get any better. I I, I think that's an interesting point. I really do. And, and I know that Brent Venables and this staff, like the, and the recruiting class is still intact, right? And, and we'll see what happens. But this is what I know. When you are down on the field level, and you are, or even if you're watching the film, maybe this is best posed as a question to you. When you pop in the tape, you watch the defense. Who on that defensive line do you go, damn, okay. Look at look at the violence he plays with. Look at the physicality. Look at how he is shocking that offensive lineman at the line of scrimmage. And removing it. like Sometimes, Co. Like, there's some guys that will have individual nice plays throughout the game, but no one no one plays like it's a, a, a brawl on every snap, you know? And I I think I think they've gotten better. I think there's been some some guys that have come along. And I think Isaiah Co is one of them. Um, but it's just it's not nearly consistent enough, and yeah, I we are like I said, we're nine games in, man. We're nine games in, and like if you're that guy, it it should have started to show up. I'm not saying that you have to be perfect, but we should we should know what we're going to get down in down out a little bit more. So I agree. This other one comes from at Sooner JG. And he said his number one takeaway that we're still making the same mistakes after nine games. Hard to argue. Untimely penalties offensively, bad turnovers. Feel this is the this is probably the most consistent thing offensively. You feel like they should have scored more points. Yeah. Like, how many times have we said that? And that's extremely frustrating. I can only imagine how frustrated Lebby is about it. But defensively, I mean, like you said earlier, it kind of felt like a step back. Like, not yeah. only the same mistakes, but, like, more mistakes. Yeah, I looked at it after the game. You know, after every time the defense – did something positive, like the offense could not like make anything of it. The first time we forced a punt, we threw an interception. Um, the next time off that interception, we forced a field goal, and we answered by turning it over on downs. All right, then Billy Bowman gets an interception. And we respond by throwing an interception ourselves. And then we respond by forcing a punt defensively. And then we had the exchange before half where we missed the field goal. But that's how the first half went. Like anytime we did like anything at all positive defensively, we just, we could not, we couldn't, you know, pay any of it off on the offensive side. And that's what, kind of led to a frustrating like not 
complimentary style football game. That's just the first half. It continued through the second half. Yeah. This is a fun episode to have your birthday shout out on though. <laughs> right? Huh? Right. Welcome to the world. Eloise March Borland. Happy first birthday to Malachi Morton. Happy fourth birthday to Baker Jafari. Happy sixth birthday to John Jet Helm. Happy eighth birthday to Tinsley Sneed. Happy 11th birthday to Blake Nolan. Happy 14th birthday and congrats on being brain cancer free to Derek Bubby Wilson. Let's go, Derek. You're the man. Amazing. Happy 23rd birthday to Nick Haddix. Happy 23rd birthday to Devin Miller. Happy 30th birthday to Lakin Lakin Riley. Lakin Riley. I don't know. I, I'm going to choose right? to believe. <laughs> We're That's fine. Lakin, if you're a real person, great job. Happy birthday. <laughs> Happy 30th birthday to Dylan Watts. Happy 30th birthday to Jamie Ramsey. Happy 37th birthday to Amy Kirkland. Happy 40th birthday to Wes Owens. Happy 45th birthday to Callie Henry. And happy 50, 50th birthday to Kerry McDonald. There are some really good games in week 10 of college football, and we're going to recap them. But first, the only place to stop when you're road tripping is Love's Travel Stops. Love's has over 600 locations in 41 states, offering 24-hour access to clean and safe places. Whatever your road trip needs are, Love's has it. Fuel, fresh food, all the snacks and drinks, including, yes, my favorite, Java Hamari. The coffee is fantastic. Love's also has you covered if you forget your phone charger or headphones. They've expanded their mobile to go zone so you can grab any of that stuff there. Make sure you download the Love's Connect app for exclusive offers from today's most popular brands. The Love's Connect app also includes a route planner and store locator. When you see that red neon heart on the highway, stop in and say hi at Love's Travel Stops. For a full list of what Love's has to offer, visit loves.com. Opolis Clothing is the exclusive home for all of our Oklahoma Breakdown merchandise. If you want to live your life in buttery soft comfort, go to opolisclothing.com. That's O-P-O-L-I-S clothing.com and use promo code TED, T-E-D, for 10% off your entire order. You still get a discount on all the OU and OKC Thunder gear as well. That's opolisclothing.com. Use promo code TED for 10% off. Buttery soft and 10% off. And make sure you send your kids to Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School. Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School has a long tradition of educational excellence. With a 12 to 1 student to teacher ratio, no student is overlooked. Bishop McGinnis's college prep curriculum offers 22 AP courses. There are numerous clubs and organizations for students to join. As a proud member of the OSSAA, there are 14 sports offered. If you want to provide the best possible educational and spiritual development for your children, Contact Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School or visit bmchs.org. Remember, financial aid is available. All right, National College Football Roundup. Number one, Tennessee went to Athens, Georgia, Woo. and got smacked by the dogs. Uh, 23-17 Georgia, and if you watch that game, was not that close. This was a dominant performance, man, especially that Georgia defense. They had they had a day because Tennessee was 
you know, all those explosive plays we've seen them have this season, they had very few. It, that, they had none, right? Like, they did – I think Jalen Hyatt had one 28-yard catch. Tennessee's longest run was 11 yards. I They had one play of 20-plus yards. One. <laughs> I mean, so we we wondered – Okay, if Georgia eliminates the big plays, can Tennessee, can they go methodically down the field, put a drive together, and punch it in the end zone? The answer to that question was no. No, they could not. <laughs> yeah, that's impressive by Georgia. Um, like when you, if you can go out there and do that to like number one offense in the country, number two, maybe they're right there at the top. Not sure what they were going into the game. They've been at number one for, you know, spells during the season. All right. It could be done. All right. I'm told all the time about with these new offenses and the way that, you know, people do things and all, you know, whatever. That the RPO. So much more difficult. I agree. It, it's difficult. It is. There's no doubt about it, but it can be done. It can be done. And, yeah, I understand Georgia's got some incredible football players, but, you know, I it can be done. You can play really good defense in college football. So, we will get there. Hendon Hooker, uh, he wasn't at his best, right? But, I mean, it's hard to be at your best when you're feeling that much pressure. Pocket was collapsing. And some of it was his own doing. Some of it, like, ball's got to come out, man. And Georgia, I mean, they did it early and they did it throughout the game. They said, hey, we're going to heat them up yeah, and play man behind it. And like you said, they got some absolute freaks in that secondary. And the Tennessee wide receivers could not get separation from those guys. They couldn't, it's, but. It's tough whenever you're used to seeing guys with wide separation open. and wide open. And now all of a sudden you've got lights like claustrophobic in the pocket plus everywhere you look it looks like you know you can't even see any white out there they're just blanketed by everyone it's that is not a that's not a fun day playing quarterback but that's what it's like at the next level pretty much week in week out you know it's that's that's what it ends up looking like yeah but oh. hooker uh sacked six times got hit a lot more and I thought the interception he threw was a huge play in the game. Felt like Tennessee was going to get points there, but throws it up for Tillman. And how many times has one of his wide receivers come down with that this season? And Ringo said, uh, you know what? I'll take that. And it was a heck of a play, but man, the amount of pressure, that was the thing that stood out. It was that the amount of pressure Georgia's defense dialed up and Tennessee just never could make them pay for being that aggressive. Never could make him pay. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you that, um, that fan base, that was, that was wild. That was a, that was an awesome atmosphere. They were, they were bringing it the entire game. It looked and sounded like coming through the TV. Cause I DVR'd it and then watched it. I was like, Oh my God. Like it sounded yeah. loud. And you know, we talked about, Tennessee not having explosive plays. Turns out it was for Georgia to have them all. Yeah. I mean, Stetson Bennett, man, he's got to be one of the 
national champion ever, right? Stetson, our boy. He, you took the words right out of my, my mouth. He is one of the most disrespected, good quarterbacks that we've had in a long time. And he had some beautiful deep balls in this game. Uh, continues to use his legs. Like, that dude can run. I mean, that little white boy can run. Yep. But, yep. you know, he had the early touchdown, uh, running, uh, rushing touchdown. I, unless my eyes are uh, are fooling me, he looked like the best quarterback on the field. Now, he yeah. was way more comfortable than the other guy. And, right. But and that, that he, matters. And that, he that looked confident. Mattered. He looked confident. He was decisive with the ball. I thought he was really good, man. Yeah. And it, I mean, that's not the first time he's played in some high level football games against some really good teams and performed really well. Look at that. Some of the throws that kid made in the national championship game were incredible, you know, and he still doesn't get like, there's the big conversation during the off season was, the, were they going to replace him? And here he is yet again, just marching along, winning big games, no big deal. Yeah. But I, I think this was. This was a great reminder for people. It's it's hard to go beat the most talented team in the country on their own field. <laughs> yeah. This just in. Especially uh, on the week where you replace them at number one and the committee bumps them back to number three. And every fan and every player and every coach felt disrespected. That was the perfect storm. Like I know it would have been like a great environment anyways if Georgia was one and Tennessee was two. But – like that's still, they dumped some fuel on the fire. Yeah, no, it was, uh, and that weather got bad in the second half and that it was like, okay, is Tennessee going to make a comeback? And then it started dumping rain a little bit. I was like, okay, I think this man, that, that looks like a fun place to be it. though. Yeah. They loved it. That was awesome. Just dripping wet Kirby smart in slow motion. Yeah. <laughs> that's the stuff. You got anything else on that game? Georgia, I mean, there's no doubt who the best team in the country is. And maybe we should have known. Hey, when they took – did they take a single transfer? They lost all those dudes off that defense. I don't know. And I, Unless I am just not remembering what – like, I don't think they took a single, like, big-time transfer that is contributing their team. Kirby Smart said, no, no, we know what we got. Uh, we feel good about it. and. They should. They that was dominant. Yeah, impressive. Alabama went to Death Valley and lost in overtime. Now, the last the uh, 32-31, LSU gets a massive win in the last 5 minutes of the fourth quarter in this overtime. This this was incredible. Uh, I mean, if you haven't watched it, go watch it because it and credit to LSU because I don't know about you, Ted, but when Bryce Young did that little Houdini escape back and threw it down for that touchdown, what was it, 40 something yards with a little under five minutes ago? I was like, there it is. There's the Heisman moment. He's done it again. No chance LSU comes back. And boy, credit to them. They they were able to bounce back from just a spectacular individual play from Young. Yeah. And you know, it's one of, I felt like, and I know they got put at number 10. And whenever they got put at number 10, I think a lot of people were like LSU kind of out of, 
LSU has flown under the radar this year massively, and they've been making strides. If you if you've just kind of seen and paid attention to what they've done, turned into pretty daggum good football team. And you know that's why I, this didn't shock me. I I I really wanted to pick LSU to win this game, but because I've been waiting on Alabama to show up, right to be be what we've uh, come to you know expect from Alabama. They just haven't haven't done that consistently this year and LSU's got some dudes on that team. They always have. I mean, everyone knows that. And Brian Kelly's brought a little bit of a little bit of discipline, a little bit more intensity to that football team. And you could tell. Brian Kelly is, uh, I feel like that, that whole thing got off to an interesting start you know, with the family and the dancing and everybody, but they love him now, man. And he's going to be walking around with his sack in a wheelbarrow all week saying, <laughs> yeah, how you liked it. I, I loved the decision. I mean, one play from a couple yards away to beat Alabama, you absolutely take it. And now it was probably the only time my wife has ever been impressed by my football knowledge ever. They got in that formation Tied in start in motion. I go, he's going into the flat. It's a pick play, sprint pass right. And she looks at me like, huh? Flat, sprint pass, throws it right to him. She was like, okay, nice. nice, nice. I was like, I was like, well, everyone under the sun runs that two-point play, but good execution. Nice ball by Jaden Daniels, who was huge, clearly, in this game for him. But I'm guessing old Mason Taylor had himself a night after this game. I know he's a freshman, but had that late touchdown and then the game winner on the two point conversion have yourself have yourself some fun freshman jeez yeah and another crazy environment where i can imagine uh there was plenty of opportunities out there to go have a good time post game that was that was wild those games are fun man like when you've got uh top 10 matchups in those type of environments it just it just hits a little bit different man it's I'm jealous. Okay. That's what I'm saying is I'm jealous. Looks I, looks incredible. It looks really fun. I want that. Yep. I want it bad. Now, I do think LSU's defense deserves some credit. I thought they played well. Uh, you know, Bama moved the ball at times, but to buckle down in the red zone and force field goals like they did, I mean, that was that was huge, especially late in the game. It's like Bryce Young with the ball, two minute drill. I thought they were going to go win the game, but for them to to get, you know, to force a field goal, get to overtime, I mean, that that was good stuff from that LSU defense. And then Jane Daniels, man, he wasn't perfect, but he was good. That man can run. It's just – it's it, it's a factor that really no matter how good you get defensively, when a quarterback has that ability, it is it's the ultimate trump card to pretty much anything. Sometimes it, like the worst thing you can do is cover everybody, which is not a good option defensively. You know what I'm saying? It's like everyone's covered. Okay, I'm just going to go, you know, pull out a 25-yard run up the middle. It's just it's tough. Quarterbacks like that are you know, the most dangerous thing in college football. Yeah, and honestly, Alabama, 
you get one of the two point conversions, you win. Mm. Right at the and and they'll always wonder like, we, what if we just would have kicked one? You know, you live and, by it, you die by it. Right, you got to be comfortable with that. That's the way yeah. it's gonna go. Yeah, the uh, the one that sent it in overtime would have been the game winner if you just kicked one of them. But hey, that's how the cookie crumbles. Every once in a while. Last game. Gosh, dang it. Texas looked good. That offense, they went to Manhattan, got a win. And, man, it looked like, well, first it looked like Texas was just, well, Texas was blowing them out, right? And they, they were up by three touchdowns. And then there was a point in the game where you're like, oh, my gosh, are they going to blow a three-touchdown lead? Here it comes. We were watching at my house. I kept telling everyone, I was like, here it comes. Don't worry. And, Right on cue, Texas uh, turns it over, and you, I thought it was going to happen. I thought Adrian Martinez was going to do it. They couldn't. They couldn't tackle him. But, and credit to Texas's offense. I mean, that first half, buddy. So that, Dyson and Dyson. That that can't say defense is solid, man. And they were going through him like a hot knife through butter, and put thirty-one on the board, and it should have been more. Honestly, like if Roshan Johnson, remember they go for it on fourth down. They're going in to score again. And, you know, he fumbles, he gets it punched out. But, I mean, they could have put 40 on him in the first half. Mm-hmm. Ewers looked better. Uh, I, I'm guessing, you know, he wasn't perfect, but he looked much better than what we saw from him against Oklahoma State and Iowa State. Uh, I think he had, he had some great touch throws. In this game, I'm guessing whatever was bothering him on his hand is feeling a lot better. But you're right, man. Things got tight there in the fourth quarter. And I I I was starting to wonder. It's like they're driving. I was like, is Chris Kleiman gonna go for two and for the win? Like that's where 100%. I was at mentally. Hundred <laughs> percent he was. Uh, that's only that's the only reason. In my mind, you can account for the way that he handled the clock as they were driving. I, it was strange. He they didn't. He wasn't going to leave any time left. And, like this is it. This is the drive. And Adrian Martinez had avoided the fumbling this season, and he had two of them. Got the one back, but then yeah, when they got that one back, I was like, okay, they avoid. That was it. They got past the issue. They avoided it. But man. Nice play by Texas. And this is groundbreaking analysis, but Bijan Robinson's really good at football. He's he's incredible. He there are sub plays. He looked like he was in fast forward compared to everyone else. We we're just yep. like, oh my god! Like, and and Deuce Bond was great, and I liked some of the stuff they did. Some really good stuff to get him involved in the pass game, kind of isolate him. I thought it was good, but man, Bijan was whew, he looked awesome. Now. I can't believe I'm going to say this, but Adrian Martinez, and, and I thought he played pretty dang well, but there, there were some lulls offensively during that game from, and it looked to me like it still looked like he was not a hundred percent to me with the way that he was kind of moving around. Part of me wonders what happens if they played Will Howard. Is that crazy to say? Well, no. What, it, what are they, they redshirting the him? Is that what they were? I guess that's what they were trying to say. They're they're trying to redshirt him this season, so that's why we didn't see any of them. But dude, 
if you win the game, you're going to go play for a Big 12 championship. Who cares about the damn red shirt? Hmm. It didn't make any sense to me that we didn't see him at all, right? Am I crazy? Um, no, you're not crazy. Okay. I'm just I'm 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 kind of shocked by that. Climbing playing the long game with Will Howard, I guess. Huh. I They mentioned it on the broadcast. So that's where I was like, okay, but dude, that, that I mean, that was a massive game for their ability to go play for a Big 12 championship. I so what all games has he played in this year? The last two, as far as I know. I know. I'm. I guess. If I don't you know, know if you're he gonna, had any mop up duty earlier in the year, but so I'm saying, if you know you're going to redshirt him, like why would you play a guy mop up duty early to where you you leave yourself no option late if you're in a situation where you have a chance to go play in the Big Twelve Championship? I don't know. That's uh, that's interesting. Yeah. I'm interested to hear uh, climb and talk a little bit more about that. Maybe it's probably out there and I just haven't maybe it's, found it. Maybe it's not his choice. You know, maybe it's Will Howard saying that. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. All right, let's finish up with our winners and losers of the weekend. But first, it's football time in Oklahoma, people. There's nothing better to drink at the tailgate than Clubby Seltzers. Clubby Seltzers is an Oklahoma company that is already winning national awards. Their product is delicious. It tastes exactly like a club special, but it's a seltzer. They're not just for the tailgate either. They're perfect to drink on the golf course, by the pool, after mowing the lawn, whatever. If you haven't tried Clubby Seltzers yet, go grab some. You won't regret it. Clubby's first variety pack is out. Got some new flavors. I got a new can. If you want to find a place near you that has Clubby's, visit ClubbySeltzers.com. And attention, business owners, you need Insurica in your life. Insurica is one of the country's largest insurance brokers with 30 offices throughout Oklahoma, Texas, and the Southwest. Insurica is able to customize programs by accessing the latest information from many insurance carriers. They compare and contrast coverage offerings and pricing in order to design a cost-effective, comprehensive program to meet your business's specific needs. Insurica's clients become best-in-class businesses by working with Insurica's team of advisors to manage risk. Purchasing insurance is only one way to protect your business. Best-in-class businesses win by avoiding a loss in the first place. If your business partners with Insurica, you'll save huge amounts of money and take back control of your total cost of risk. I'm an Insurica client, and you should be too. If your business wants to be best-in-class, connect with Insurica at Insurica.com. That's I-N-S-U-R-I-C-A dot com. As always, Ted, kick us off. Who do you have as your winner of the weekend? I had to go with uh, Joe Mixon. Woo. What a day by Joe Mixon. Five touchdowns, 22 carries, 153 yards on the ground with four touchdowns, four receptions, 58 yards, and a touchdown through the air for him. He uh, he put up a, a good one in what was a really interesting game. You know, they end up going out and – uh, and beating Carolina pretty bad, but Baker Mayfield comes in and throws a couple of touchdowns. How about that? It it made me feel good for Baker because like, now PJ Walker did not have a good day, and that game was over quickly. Right? <laughs> I mean, the Bengals' offense was just going straight up and down the field. But 
it was it was fun watching Mixon have that kind of impact. I can only imagine how many fantasy football games he won for people. I mean, he oh Scott. you were one of them. <laughs> this Congratulations, sir. But man, it felt good to watch Baker go out there and play pretty well. It was I enjoyed like it, it and I think everyone was kind of like, okay, yeah, that's that it it was one of those things like that was nice to see. Guy's been through it these last couple of years. Watch him go out there, sling it around a little bit, uh, play well. It was, it was cool. No, it was very cool. Um, that was awesome though. Joe Mixon putting up a monster day. Uh, that was awesome to see. And uh, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what what the what the future holds for Baker. What do you think? Just quickly, not to get caught up on a on a tangent, but what's the future hold? One year deal for Baker. What's it going to look like for the future for him? You think? I I would assume his days of being a starter are over. Yeah. And I just, you know, that's that's kind of the reality of the situation. So if I was him, I'd try to get to Tampa as fast as I could. Yep. And soak up everything I could from Tom Brady. And it, if Brady keeps playing, which maybe he doesn't, but I'd try to I'd I'd take twelve dollars. To go and try to be like, all right, teach me everything, man. I want to know it all. Uh, but yeah, he's going to be a backup somewhere, probably that has an established, high-paid starter. Um, and I think he's going to be a great locker room guy. He can play ten more years in the NFL. Yeah, I mean he can, but there's also part of me that thinks that he could get out and walk on to the stage of college game day or big noon kickoff and be a star, be a media star Yeah, in college football. I think, I think he would crush that or even, I mean, maybe the NFL stuff too, but I think he could be, he could be a massive like college football content star. It's got a huge personality. There's no yeah. doubt about that. Yep. I agree. So I don't, I don't know, but I, I'll put it this way. I'm not worried about our man Baker Mayfield's future. I think it'll be just fine. One way or the on other. The on the beach for the rest of his life if he wants to. Yeah. All right. Who do you have as your loser of the weekend? <sighs> the Green Bay Packers. Oh, my goodness. Nine? Green, Green Bay Packers are now, what, uh, three and six on the season. They just got beat by Detroit, put up nine points, lost in a uh, – in a, Final score that I guarantee no one had. 15 to 9, they lose to the Lions. And they had Lions score fourth quarter touchdown. But the Packers have plenty of opportunities late with drives to go down and, and win the football game. They just couldn't get anything going. It's incredible. Are we watching the end for Aaron Rodgers? Did Did you see the throw to Bakhtiari in the end zone that he threw for the interception? I missed that one. Uh, they ran, they basically ran a tackle eligible, like, oh shit screen mm -hmm. to the backside. You know, just he blocks and releases, right? Yeah. Wide open. I, you, you just have to go watch it. I can't even describe like what, what happened. Like just throws it to the wrong person. Uh, like, yeah. To a Detroit guy. In Bakhtiari, you could see me. He's like, wait, what? It went, dude. It was a bizarre play, huh? Like, Through three I, interceptions, which you know, Aaron Rodgers 
has gone through entire seasons where he's thrown three interceptions. Like it's just the guy is not himself. And maybe it's the ayahuasca in the off season. I don't know what it is. The psychedelics. I don't know what's going on, but definitely not himself. Three interceptions. A pretty brutal day for Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. Uh, yeah, I. I mean, I don't know, dude. I'm watching it again right now. Like, ain't not the he throws the pass like ten yards short of it. I, it was. I don't know. It was unbelievable. And Aiden Hutchinson intercepted it. So, I don't know, man, but I feel like the Packers have been our loser of the weekend a lot. Three and six, the Packers. They scored nine against that Detroit defense. It is a not a good division right now. <laughs> the NFC North is not what uh we're used to it typically vikings being. fans are feeling good man. vikings are, are seven to one okay but after that you go all the way back to the packers and the bears at three and six and the lions at two and six which fields starting to get it together a little bit starting to play a little bit better ball so yeah. i don't know wild all Feels right like let's get to my winner and loser for, for aaron Rodgers. all right let's get to my winner and loser but first First Fidelity Bank is a full-service financial institution based in Oklahoma with tailored solutions for all your personal and business needs. Checking accounts, saving accounts, home loans, and much more, they do it all. Whether it's online banking from your computer or mobile banking from your phone, everything is stress-free with FFB. Making mobile deposits, paying bills online, and moving money to different accounts could not be easier. First Fidelity Bank provides free ATMs worldwide, making banking convenient wherever you are. They also give back to the community. FFB donates a total of more than $500,000 to local charities and educational foundations. Make your life easier and go bank with First Fidelity Bank. Visit ffb.com for more information. And if you're a whiskey or bourbon drinker, stop what you're doing. Head to your favorite liquor store and buy some Balcones products. You got to grab some of Balcones Lineage Single Malt Whiskey. It was just voted one of the top 20 whiskeys in the world by Whiskey Advocate. And you'll be shocked by how affordable it is. Also, you got to snag some of Balcony's baby blue corn whiskey. It's made from blue corn. That's the fancy corn. And that is why it has won more than 25 awards. Last but certainly not least, you got to buy some of Balcony's pot still bourbon. It's big flavors make it the perfect bourbon to drink year round. Remember in 2012, Balcony's single malt won the best in glass competition, beating brands like Johnny Walker and McAllen. This stuff is the real deal, people. If you love great whiskey and bourbon at a great price, then Balcones products are the only way to go. The whiskey may be made in Texas, but the owners are from Oklahoma. To find a liquor store that has it, visit balconiesdistilling.com. All right, for my winner of the weekend, and this is not going to make a lot of people that listen to this podcast happy, thought about going with Caleb Williams. Uh, five total touchdowns. He was, I watched pretty much every play of that game. Our buddy Dusty Dvorak was on the call for it. Caleb Williams was great for USC. Uh, Trojans now eight and one. And I think Caleb Williams has a very, very good opportunity to win the Heisman Trophy because some underwhelming performances from Hinton Hooker, Bryce Young. Bryce Young kind of feels like he's been eliminated now that they're a two loss team. Uh, Hinton Hooker, everyone in their dog was watching that game. 
and he's not going to have that big game now, right? He's not going to play in an SEC championship game. CJ Stroud was dealing with some awful weather. <laughs> so, I mean, he didn't put up uh, great stats, but yeah, coming out of the weekend with how things kind of shook out, as things sit right now, I think Caleb Williams has the best chance of anyone to win the Heisman Trophy. Here's the thing with that. There's one problem. Now, I'm not saying that it's not going to happen, but Bo Nix is probably going to win the Pac-12, and his numbers are incredible. They're better than Caleb Williams. It's it, This is – and this is crazy to say out loud because we're talking about Bo Nix. I know. The Pac-12 championship game, because remember, USC and Oregon do not play each other in the regular season. They the have Pac- to beat UCLA to get there. They got to beat UCLA. They also got to beat Notre Dame. Yeah. Who all of a sudden, that does not look like uh, a very easy task. We'll get to that. Mm-hmm. But it it's very possible that the Pac-12 championship game could be for a spot in the playoff and for the Heisman Trophy. Crazy, right? Yeah. Bo Nix, his numbers are incredible. They're, they're, he is, he's been amazing. Uh, even on the ground, like I think he's got 11 or more rushing touchdowns on the ground. It's been been exceptional. And, and CJ Stroud, that Michigan game, like if he lights up Michigan, yeah, then Stroud's probably, you know, he probably ends up winning it. But Bo Nix, Caleb Williams, that could be <laughs> God the Pac-12. That could be the Pac-12 dream, and there'll be about 12 people that watch that game. I know. It'll be the, it'll be like the last game ever played in the Pac-12, and then the whole conference dissolves. Yeah. Uh, I also thought about going with Mattress Mac. Woo! Houston Astros win the World Series, and from reports, Mattress Mac won approximately $75 million on various bets that he had in the Astros to win the World Series. Uh, reports say the largest payout in sports betting history I know he's offsetting some furniture deals he gave people because they won, but I mean, 75 mil. I know one of the worst things that's ever happened to the sports gambling industry is the Houston Astros getting good because Mattress Mac has absolutely cleaned house on years where they are, uh, they are incredible. That's, that's, that's insane. Yeah. But. Good for you, Mattress Mac. But my winner of the weekend, the bowl-eligible Kansas Jayhawks. Wow. Bowl-eligible for the first time since 2008, and they did it in dominant fashion. And we we didn't know if this team was going to get their sixth win after Jalen Daniels going down, kind of the downturn their season had taken. But... They smacked a depleted Oklahoma State, but they absolutely that listen, Oklahoma State, they physically were there, but they did not show up, if that makes sense. Yeah. That did not look like a team that wanted to play a football game in Lawrence, Kansas. I'll just that's say what, that. 
Yeah, that's one of those. It, it kind of felt like the the Kansas State game to a certain degree where you look up at 7-0 and then it just continues to grow on you. It's yeah, wild. And, and I will say it was it was very cool that Devin Neal was – and Jason Bean was awesome in this game. Don't get me wrong, but – Devin Neal in that run game, oh my gosh, just so many chunk runs, but that he was the guy that kind of carried him to getting that sixth win into bowl eligibility because he's he's a Lawrence guy. He's a local guy. He could have gone a lot of different places. He stayed and went to Kansas. And I'm sure he's had many a night where he was thinking, why the hell did I stay and go to Kansas? And well, He's going to sure be an was... absolute legend now. <laughs> yeah. So I, I thought that that was really cool. Uh, Bean threw it well. He ran it well. Uh, had the big touchdown run. And it was a rough day for Garrett Rangel. Mm. That was uh, three picks. Uh, also, he had that fumble on the fourth and one. And it fumbles the snap. Didn't even get to, I don't know if they're going to QB snake it or run dive or what they were going with. Doesn't matter. Couldn't handle the snap. And... Lance Leipold's got the Kansas Jayhawks going to a bowl game, man. It's pretty awesome. And they're not done yet. You know, I, they got their sixth win. They're going to a bowl game, but they're going to be trying to play spoiler down the stretch. And we know that that's a, it's a tough team that is a capable team of beating anyone in this conference on any given weekend right now. The fact that Kansas may finish the year with a better Big 12 record than Oklahoma makes me not well. Yeah. Let's just not even – let's just move on. Let's not. Hey, it's Let them have some success. I'm happy for them. Lance Leipold's going to be gone. I mean, <laughs> the, the bad part of it for them is, like, the better they do, the worse their future looks. Yeah. You know? All right, for my loser of the weekend, thought about going with Illinois. Uh, Brett Bielema had had the Illini playing some good football, and head scratcher, they lose to Michigan State in Champaign, 23-15. If you're wondering, if you're saying, oh, I didn't see any of that game, how'd they lose? Uh, well, five turnover on downs, that's how. One for six on fourth down on the day for Bielema's boys. And, yeah, that's how you lose. That's how you Ooh. lose to Michigan State. That's brutal. Um, but another really good, really quick turnaround that he's done there at at uh, Illinois. That's uh, That's been impressive. But, yeah. gosh, that's one that you thought that, like, whenever you looked at the schedule, especially as Michigan State got, you know, not off to a very hot start, you thought, okay, there's one that they're going to be able to pull off. That's painful. Yeah. Also thought about going with Clemson. Woo. Dabo said it best after the game. This was an ass-kicking, period. That's a quote from Dabo. I mean, he was hurt after the game. I mean, yeah. I think he called it like one of the low points of his coaching career. I mean, it was... They got smacked by Notre Dame and South Bend, and it was everything. Had a punt block for a touchdown. That offense continues to really struggle. Uyunglele was really bad, so they went to Klubnik. Klubnik came in, throws an interception right away, so they bring DJU back. He then throws a pick six. Like, it was it was awful offensively. And then 
uh, defensively, I mean, Notre Dame ran it straight down their face, man. 263 on the ground on that Clemson defense is, whew. buddy, this was a whooping in South Bend. I will say some people did see this one coming, Gabe. Not a lot of them out there, but some you, people. You did called see it. it. You coming. said Notre Dame was going to win the football game when we when we talked about this on Sooner Game Day. I got one thing right uh, all week, and also said we were going to beat Baylor, uh, and I felt great about that. So I know nothing. Well, but Notre Dame. You should feel better. You were you were right about this. You weren't that wrong about the Baylor thing. That oh, you almost did win. <laughs> right. You were very right about the Notre Dame thing. Uh, well, I appreciate that. That's a that's a good way to spin it. <laughs> Positivity, Ted. <laughs> My that's loser right. of the weekend, though, the Buffalo Bills. How about those Jets, Ted? What's up? NFL, man. It's crazy. That's a big win for Salah and them. Especially, they found it. They, they fell into, what was it, 14-3. Early, you know, big hole. It kind of felt like, oh, well, Bills are going to just work them. And they, from that point on, they kind of held Josh Allen in check as a passer. You know, of course, he did some damage with his legs because he's just a freak of nature. But pretty nice job by the Jets' defense. Hit Allen a lot. He did not look like he was feeling very good at yeah. the end of that game. Um, Zach Wilson was fine. No critical errors, right? Uh, but That's I mean, you, you forced Josh Allen. Yeah, you you forced Josh Allen to throw a couple interceptions, and listen, man, you get one of the best wins in the NFL this season. I mean that that's a hell of a win for the Jets. Yep, play conservative offensively. Don't let the a young quarterback make mistakes and and throw you out of a football game. Lean on your defense. You know, trying trying to win the field position game, and it can be hard against a quarterback like Josh Allen. But you know that conservative approach—if you can hold up on the defensive side, force some some bad plays, and a couple of picks, win the turnover battle—you're in business. And and it, that's how it played out for the Jets. Yeah. On that note, episode two sixty four that undoubtedly had the most cussing of any episode in a long time. Uh, I'm sorry. We're frustrated people. We'll have a new podcast that'll drop Wednesday. Uh, just a reminder, you can hear Teddy from 3 to 6 on 94.7 The Ref. You can hear me from 2 to 5 on Sirius XM Big 12 Radio, channel 375. Hope you all have a great week. And until next time, we appreciate you all for listening. Do what you always do, Opal. Take care of each other.
just one.